set your own goals. Be happy when you achieve them. If you don't, push yourself harder. But don't worry about what other people think because you will never please them, ever. Uh, it's just not apples to apples, and that's just the reality. So even if you do want to compare yourself to them, um, that's kind of on you. But if I meet my own goals, I'm happy. Sure. And you're never going to please the people you're trying to impress. Yeah. You're never, because they're always going to poke holes in something. Oh, yeah, you did that, but yeah, you drew a special tag. Like, I could have done that if I should. Or yeah, you did it, but you shot it with a compound. Right. Yeah, you did it, but you had a long range, right? Whatever yeah. the thing is, they're always going to find it. It's never so ending. Don't fool yourself to think you're going to please these people. You're never going to please these people. And by the way, they're never going to please themselves either. Yeah. They're generally speaking very insecure. Welcome to the Her Inspired Journey podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Levesque. I'm here to bridge the gap for women in the outdoors, support families, and roll out your weekly dose of positive vibes. With almost two decades in the health and fitness world and an untamable passion for hunting in the outdoors, my mission is to help you move boldly in the direction of your dreams. Join us here weekly as we talk about fitness and mindset, accountability, as well as all things hunting and epic untold stories. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Her Inspired Journey podcast. I am joined in this episode again by Dave Brinker and he and I continue the conversation in part two talking about entrepreneurship, his role in the outdoor industry, and how he has really worked to continue figuring out the balance between work and family. We also talk about working in the outdoor industry, the nuances to that, how it can be a very competitive field, and the comparison game in general. As we move forward, I think that you will find a lot of really compelling and inspiring information and advice from Dave as we talk about all of these topics and more. Enjoy today's show. Y'all need this episode, but first a quick word about today's sponsor. Having subpar binoculars can make finding game a real drag. And to be honest, back before I had good optics, I hardly used my glass. I was too frustrated with eye strain, foggy lenses from the Pacific Northwest drizzle, and frustrated that I couldn't see the critters other people in my hunting party could. I'll never forget the last day I used my old binoculars on a hunt. I was chasing spring bear in the Oregon rain, and I was fighting fogged up lenses, trying to judge the size of the bear I was stalking in on. Fast forward a few months down the road when I was introduced to Maven Optics. I'd never heard of the brand, but was insanely curious after looking through a buddy set on the archery range at the Western Classic in Reading. Maven's glass is fog-proof, waterproof, and scratch-resistant. Not to mention its edge-to-edge -edge clarity, crisp detail, and low-light transmission are phenomenal. Do yourself a favor and go check out their award-winning glass now at mavenbuilt.com. You can use the code herinspired-gift to get a little something extra at the checkout. It's that time again. Spring has arrived and that means many of us are hitting the woods in search of sheds, turkeys, bears, or just some much needed time outside. Remember, as you get out, ticks will be also. Do yourself and your family a favor by trading your gear with Sawyer's Permethrin Spray. 
Permethrin will last up to six washes or six weeks. It's odorless, gear safe, and non-toxic. Head to Sawyer.com to stock up now. I am excited to uh, continue the conversation. I've got Dave Brinker on the line right now. And uh, we were really just talking about being an entrepreneur, the mindset that goes into that, obviously the work too. But I loved that the first part of our conversation was a little bit abruptly cut off by you needing to run your kids somewhere. And I think that flexibility is something that I've been really drawn to within my own business. Um, but I'd love to get your thoughts on the work environment, you know, especially when that space can be for the most part at home uh, and what that creative space needs to be for you to be your best as far as um, approaching your business. Yeah, no, it's certainly, as you know, it's a ongoing challenge. You know, I have three kids and a wife and a life outside of work, obviously. And that's really important to me. That's the most important thing to me. But obviously, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of when people say that, you know, uh, work is really important. If you want to thrive in this world, which I do, I don't want to just survive all on threads. So I want to try to strike some sort of balance between family and work. And some days I really suck at it. Some days I don't. I mean, that's the honest truth because like we talked about last time, there's no, there's no silver bullet. There's no like specific trick to doing it. But I guess what I, what I try to do, Especially recently, I've been really, really, really focused on um, keeping my quality up, but being way more efficient. So, mm -hmm. like, when I have time to focus on my work, I I try to focus on the most important things first, and the obviously work my way down the list, and then that way, if, even if I don't, which I never, you never finish your checklist if you're. Um, in any type of job, I would I would hope, but um, especially when you're an entrepreneur, it just keeps growing. Mm -hmm. So you have to be okay with like walking away when the checklist is still there. And the way that I, I learned to do that was from an old mentor I used to have who told me you should always you, you go in and you pull the biggest levers first. Mm -hmm. And as long as you do that, you're going to be fine. But if you get distracted um, all the time you know, by the smaller stuff that maybe doesn't matter as much, even if it's more fun for you to do, that's when you start running into problems with time management. So anyways, as, as, as you know, having a family and everything, you know, I, I mean, I try to have eight hours a day where I can work, but honestly, I, a lot of days I might only have six or seven. Um, because when my kids come home, I try to put it away. Um, which is really hard. And then I might open it back up for an hour at night once I go to bed or something, but it's just trying to be more efficient with my time and I struggle with it, but I'm definitely getting better at it as I get older because I start, I stop worrying about stuff that doesn't matter as much or that I can't control. Whereas mm -hmm. when I was younger, I, I used to get spun up on things that I couldn't control. And it's pretty freeing when you realize that, um, you can really only affect the things you can and you become more efficient. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things, and it's kind of funny because I have a little varying uh, perspective and insight to the whole pull the biggest levers first, which I do see a lot of value in that when I approach my biggest tasks or the things that might mentally um, take up more space or take up more time. But there are occasions where I feel like, especially if I'm really lacking the motivation or maybe you know tired or things have been busy, if I can approach my to-do list and do some of those easy tasks first and start like crossing things off the list. Sometimes I feel like that can help the momentum to get to those bigger tasks, but. Oh, for sure. It's like the Dave Ramsey method of like paying off debt, right? Pay off your smallest credit cards first. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. The days I'm really tired, I definitely pick the easiest things. (laughs) But, you know, the, uh, you just gotta always be conscious that those big things don't go away just because you say don't. Absolutely, for so, sure. Or even if you can just take a small chunk out of something, you know. I found something else helps me a lot. I, I live off lists. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. and I usually write them when I'm, with my anxiety issue, I, my highest anxiety is at night. And it's, I think it's mostly because I'm tired. And when you're tired, your mm-hmm. cortisol levels go up. And when I'm anxious, I usually think of the things that are bothering me the most. And so what I'll do is, is at night before I go to bed, when I'm anxious about all the things that I didn't get to or that I need to do the next day, I'll write them down. And then I'll revisit that list the next morning and just make sure that, because usually in the morning, it's the opposite. I'm like the most like uh, rested and kind of even keeled and like thinking clearly. And I might look at it again and be like, yeah, I was worried about that last night. Honestly, whatever, it's mm-hmm. not a big deal. And revise the list, but I've found that helps me uh, stay on task too. Definitely. I'm a huge list and notebook person. In fact, I I said, uh, if I ever grow, go broke, it's probably because I have too many notebooks. <laughs> like I just, I enjoy writing things down, whether it's my to-do list or notes or conversations. Um, but I spend every morning, the first part of my morning as I'm drinking my coffee, writing down exactly what I want to achieve for the day. Um, for me, in, in the past, I have really worked to just like, okay, by the end of the day, I'm going to have hopefully accomplished, you know, 90% of this list, um, some days more, some days less. But I've been finding lately that I've kind of shifted my mindset instead of like, and, and because, you know, I'm picking up, dropping off to school or practices with the boys. And, you know, my day doesn't look standard to a lot of people. I don't really time block my hours for the most part. Um, but so I've always been kind of in this mindset that I just want my list done by the end of the day. And what I found is that I'm a little bit more conflicted, like in the evenings as I'm trying to do dinner, I'm multitasking too, too much, like multitasking, although we all do, it really isn't, doesn't suit you best for doing your best, most quality work. So I have in the last few months shifted to being like more efficient. Like I want to thoroughly and effectively get this list done, but I'm trying to do it in the shortest amount of time possible. So instead of going like, oh, I have until bedtime to get these things done. I'm like, no, by noon, I want to have, you know, 60% of this list completed. Um, Do you have any advice as far as, you know, outside of maybe pulling the biggest levers first, how to like time block or be really efficient with the hours that you are showing up for work? Yeah. One thing I want to clarify the biggest levers. I think the biggest levers comment 
but I think uh, it can be taken out of context. Uh, if it, it, I'm not saying um, biggest economic levers. Sure. It, it's whatever is most important to you or your business or the business that you work for. Like it could be something small. Like it could be like, I really need to do my expense report. You know, something that takes an hour that no one wants to do, but in business, it's pretty important. You know, so don't, don't, the way you judge your biggest levers could be different for everybody. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, and then what was the second part of your question? I'm sorry, I'm brain dead this morning. That's okay. Just figuring out like maybe some tips or strategies, a way to approach your list daily so that you can be really effective in getting those things accomplished. I mean, like I said, I, I, I found that like, you know, when I was younger and have kids, I, and I was like the early days of Sitka. I mean, we were all putting in 10 hour, 12 hour days every day. Like I wasn't coming home from the office until seven o'clock at night, a lot of nights. And I was going in at like seven or seven thirty. <clears throat> um, so I had all this time at the office to just focus. Well, now my life's a lot more complicated than it was when I was 25, right? I have kids and practices and mm-hmm. everything. My wife works full time. Um, so, and then plus all the COVID and all the, all these other, you know, things that got thrown into all of our lives. So I've found, I have to be, I have to be even more effective with less time. Yeah. So the only way that you can do that is by being more organized, which I've always struggled with, but I, I have to work on really hard. That's why I do lists. And then I have to be, I have to find little ways to, 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 uh, maximize efficiencies. Like for example, I've been in my, um, my land company that I own, you know, we, we take pride in like when we work on a ranch or a big piece of timberland or something, like I don't just, we don't just slap it together and throw it up on the web. We take a lot of time to get the highest quality content. We edit videos. We create like these magazines out of the properties. Like we really put a lot of time into it. When I first started doing it, it would take cause I'm, uh, I don't know, 30 hours of property just to get it ready to be listed. Um, but I've figured out now how to do it much more efficiently, but even more high quality. And just, you figure out those things over time, mm-hmm. um, by just being like, Oh, you know what? I did this, but I know a better way to do that now. There's no, there's no reason to do it that way anymore. And it's just evolution. Right. And I think especially for people that have been in a job for a long time, I mean, you should be pretty getting pretty good at keeping it efficient without losing quality and actually being able to constantly increase quality. Right. It's like working out like that's you should every time you work out be slowly getting a little bit better otherwise you're just kind of doing the same thing over and over and over Mm -hmm. again Mm -hmm. so that's the only way that i can figure it out because i I don't have but i I bet you anything courtney with um with even with covid and working from home i bet you i'm more effective now in four hours than i used to be in ten because I just am I'm more efficient. Mm-hmm. I can get a lot. Of, I can get a lot done before noon now, and I there's a lot of afternoon, but I I just I might just decide to go golfing or something or go out shoot my bow because I feel pretty good for the day. That goes into what you were saying. It's just like being razor focused on what that means. Like what 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 would feel good today? Like what are the three things if you got them done, you could feel good about going outside because. Nobody wants to just work all the time. I mean, we all should be living our lives too. So that's, if you can find ways to do um, more with less time, 
then you can have more time to play, which is what we all want to do. Can you be specific a little bit about what those changes have been, you know, since being, you know, since things have really moved this direction with working from home and the COVID restrictions, um, you know, you talking about being more effective in four hours than you were in 10, what things have shifted? Are you getting up earlier? Are you just, you know, spending less time on things? Are you finding procedures? Like what are those specific things that are increasing that effectiveness? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I'm still working through the thought process of figuring that out because, but I, the, the, there's a couple things that I know for sure that I've identified. One thing is, is when you're in an office job, which I was up until three years ago for a lot of years, when meaning when you're going to an office every day with mm-hmm. a team, I've, at least in my experience, you spend a lot of time talking to other people or stuck in meetings or over the water cooler <laughs> or I would even say um, that, you know, gossiping, there's drama. Uh, no matter how healthy the culture is in the office, when you put a bunch of people together for a lot of periods of time under a lot of stress, there's going to be drama and there's going to be outside factors that don't have anything to do with your job, right? Sure. So I personally, I love being with a team and working with a team. I actually really enjoy that. Sometimes I miss it. But just simply cutting out all the like side talk and water cooler stuff. And I don't, I have very few meetings. The only meetings I will do with my team that I have now are like we have an agenda and it's short and that's it. Um, I used to spend my life in meetings. Um, So that's one main major thing. And the other thing is, uh, just as I've gotten older, I I have less time for beating around the bush. I'm much more to the point now Mm -hmm. um, with people. And um, I found that to make you more efficient. Um, And you have to, like, it's uncomfortable sometimes. I, I hate it. I'm not a confrontational person at all. But now that I own my own business and I'm just a hair older, I don't really have time to beat around the bush. And if something needs to be dealt with, I like to deal with it now because what happens is, and I learned this the hard way, if you don't deal with a bunch of small things, they all add up to a big thing. Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and that ultimately will totally make you inefficient and, and, and make, make your whole work culture toxic. So the more you can be professionally honest, um, and, uh, f- uh, forward and direct. If, if, that, if your culture allows that some people's jobs don't allow that, right. They can't mm-hmm. tell their boss what they think or whatever. But if you're in a position where you can be, I believe everybody should be able to be honest and, and direct and professional and respectful and all those things. But I feel like if people spend their whole life living in fear of actually saying what they think when I actually think it would save everybody time. So that's the two biggest things is just, being working by myself, I don't have as much as many distractions. Um, and then the second is, is I just try to nip things in the bud as quickly as possible so I can keep moving. Yeah. No, that's that's really good. It helps the efficiency for sure. Something I used to be in a really bad habit with was emails. Emails can take up a lot of time. Um, there's a lot, our inboxes can get really full. So I've done a couple things as of late to really help kind of mitigate what I'm being exposed to, what's like coming through my inbox because I do keep a pretty um, strong finger on the pulse when it comes to what's coming through there. But one is I try to unsubscribe from five, 
emails I don't need a day. So that's like part of my morning routine. If something's coming through that's like spam, I'll unsubscribe from that. Five is my goal. And then the other thing I actually learned in the book, I think it was from Indistractable, and I can't remember the author on that, but... Um, he was talking about when you open an email, for one, don't open the email unless you have the time to reply to whatever it is. And two, don't read something. And, you know, even if it's a short, you know, quick response or something like that, always deal with it now instead of putting it on pause until, you know, coming back to it. Because then you're going to have five more emails that need the same attention. So really dealing with that email for me is something that can really eat up a lot of my time and then my productivity because then I get sucked into a gear shift which is probably you know a down regulation from what I was doing in the creative space or working with clients so yeah no that's a, that's a really good example I, I my email load has gone down significantly um I used to get you know three to five hundred emails a day when I was at Sitka and it was overwhelming I always said if I got if I got under a hundred new emails in my inbox I felt pretty good about my life <laughs> um, but which is awful um, it's not a good standard to have for yourself. <laughs> um, but you know, my email load's definitely gone down with just the change in careers and stuff. But I totally agree with you. It's distracting. In fact, if I work on something creative, like if I'm editing a video or, you know, working on something where I really need my creative juices, I just close my email. So it's not dinging. it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I also, I, I totally agree with you too. Cause sometimes, especially if it's an email, that's like, um, let's just say it's something, it's like a tough situation. Like, you know, uh, you're having to deal with a uh, human resource issue or whatever it may be, but it's bothering you. It does you no good to read it and stew on it all day and spin around it. Mm-hmm. Either, either wait to read it and open it and deal with it all at the same time or don't read it at all. Just because at least for me, I've, <laughs> I've read, read stuff before. I'm like, Oh God, that makes me so angry. And then I spin on it and I don't deal with it and it bothers me and I don't have time to deal with it. It would have just been better just to deal with it all at the same time. It just sits there and takes up the mental space for sure. Right. How do you limit distractions? You know, when it comes to, we've got to kind of be pervy to what's coming through the emails and what's going on online, um, depending on what space or what you do for a living. But like, how do you limit the distractions? Do you turn off notifications? I do remember you mentioning that at night, once you've decided the day is done, you put your phone in the other room, which I think is great. And honestly, I need to do myself because for me, I don't do that. And I feel like it would be a really good time to just flip the switch and turn it off. Um, but do you have any specific, you know, strategies or things that you implement into your own life to make sure that you can remove yourself and pull out of those distractions? Oh yeah, I do. Um, I, one of my safe places is I take a shower. I take, sometimes I'll take two showers a day because my the showers, like there's no buzzing. Mm-hmm. I can stand there in the hot water and just kind of wash off the day, forget about it, put my sweatpants on and take my eye, my eye watch. My eye watch is, I don't, I'm still deciding whether I even like it. Um, because it's ultra distracting when your computer, your phone and your watch are buzzing. Yeah. Like it, and you can't get away from it. Like if it's not buzzing about an email, it's buzzing about the weather or the news or your fitness or whatever. I'm like, ah, I don't know that I like that. But, um, yeah, so definitely night, my routine is just, I take the watch off and the phone and I put them both down. And I try to forget about them for the rest of the night. Um, and then I just, I try to, I'm, I'm no pro at this, Courtney, but <laughs> I try to, I try to make conscious decisions just to, you know, 
go for a run or shoot my bow or even just play my guitar for a little bit or just stare at the wall for five minutes. I mean, literally, I just try to be present for at least a few minutes because as, as a parent, you know, a business owner, there's not a lot of minutes in the day where you actually get to like not be trying to be productive. Yeah. And I think being productive is great. Like our, our, you know, that's what we're talking about right now. Right. But I think there's not enough emphasis on it's okay to not be productive sometimes. Yeah. Like it's, it's totally fine actually. And actually I have to have that. I have to recharge. Otherwise I'm not, I get, I get edgy. Um, I'm not as effective. Um, I just feel tired. So sometimes like my wife and I went to California here a couple weeks ago for her birthday and, uh, unplugged for the weekend. I think that was the first time I hadn't not worked for a day and like, I don't even know, a long time. And at the end of that weekend, I was like, wow, I feel so refreshed. Wow, that's amazing. I need to do that more often, which tells me I'm not doing it enough just like during the, on a normal day, just take 10 or 15 minutes. Um, have a glass of wine, uh, you know, watch a show with your significant other, whatever. It just, you have to. That's something I, I get it. Yeah. It feels like every time I do it, I'm like, God, I should be doing something. Oh, I forgot to call so-and-so. Oh, I'm like, I got to email that thing. It's like, no, it can wait. Yeah. I don't know if that's an anxiety driven thing. I feel like partly it is. And that's something that I have really picked up on in the last probably year and a half is, and it's, it is, it is not good, Dave. Like it is something that makes me feel terrible as a parent because I'll have those times where I'm sitting there with the boys having dinner and I'll ask one of them a question, you know, like how was practice or tell me about school today or how was the report? And and this is like me airing a vulnerability about myself as a parent, but they'll start answering me. And before I even realize what's going on, I am in work in my head or I am thinking about a client and then they've finished what they were explaining to me from the question that I asked. And I have no clue what they said, you know, it so to me, it happened to me last night. Literally, I felt awful. I, oh. My daughter told me a whole story and all I could think about was the three things that were bugging me. The struggle's real. I get it. It's, it's it, and, and it's not good. It's really not. That's why it's like, I don't know. I think the only way that you can combat that is, is slowing down giving your brain an opportunity to slow down. Like it's weird. I've been thinking a lot because I love listening to podcasts. Like if my truck's silent, I drive a lot. Courtney, I drive 40,000 miles a year. Like it's crazy. Um, so I'm either listening to a podcast or, you know, music or so I hate it when it's quiet or I'm on my phone. But I've found lately, I just try to at least once a day, turn everything off and yeah. just put my window down and just drive. And it actually is amazing. I'm like, oh my God, I don't feel as anxious right now. I don't need to be talking to somebody. I don't need to be pumping information into my brain all the time. Yeah. Like, that's okay. But... <laughs> I don't know. It's just this constant access to information. It's very addicting. Well, and I think it's just like anything else that we practice or try to learn or get better or stronger, you know, fitness, whatever it is, you have to practice that, you know, time to just remove yourself and have the quiet space. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, if for me just assessing myself and how I feel in those moments where I'm like, holy cow, I was, I did not even hear a word you just said because I was doing X, Y, and Z, you know, in my mind, I think if I were to practice that quiet space every single day, at some point I would 
be able to tap more into being present because I think that's a lot of what my problem is, is I'm not, I'm not present, you know, I'm there, but in my head, I'm always doing something else. I'm always trying to figure out the next thing, build out the next vision, you know, plan the next goal, you know, and being somebody who's highly driven by being productive and who finds value, you know, self value in what I accomplish, you know, I have to also understand that there's the most value in my life I get from my family. And if I'm not present for it now, I miss it, you know? For sure. No, I mean, I, when I was, when Sitka was growing like crazy and we were, we were all traveling a lot, working a ton and my kids were young. I mean, I, I missed a lot of their childhoods. I did. And that sucks. Um, so now I kind of, cause my, I think I blinked and my daughter's 10. I mean, she's only eight years from graduating high school. It's insane to me mm-hmm. because I literally remember her first birthday. Like it was yesterday. So, um, it makes me angry when I, when I do that, like, it's like what you did is like, gosh, dang it. Like slap yourself around, like get in the moment, like be present because none of this other crap matters if, if this isn't together. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I have very successful friends, you know, economically that, um, and people that I've met that are extremely wealthy, but their family's a mess mm-hmm. and they're no better off. So, And we have to remember that we're modeling all of these things for our kids. So as we want them to be driven human beings as they grow older, we also want them to be, you know, present and engaging with the relationships in their life. And I have to my children, not all the time, but when those moments happen where I just completely zone out, I will apologize and just look them square in the eyes and say, that was, I was totally distracted in my head and I'm sorry, I'm listening and I'll just make eye contact the whole time and like active, you know, you have to practice like those active listening skills sometimes to just oh, yeah. tap back in. No, my wife, she used to tell me like, don't come home until you can be here. Yeah. Like if you have to drive around the block 10 times, I don't care because my commute in Bozeman um, was like three minutes. So what would happen is I'd get out like a stressful day and I'd walk in the door, I'd be edgy, I wouldn't be present, I would still be sorting out like whatever happened that day. And so she got to the point where she's like, yeah, we don't want you here until you can be here. Yeah, that makes sense, that makes <laughs> sense. She, she is super right. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I don't know, it's a struggle. I don't, I don't really have all the answers for it, but you just, I think the more you can put yourself in the present, the easier it becomes just like anything that takes practice and I am not good at I'm constantly th- because I'm motivated to do better for my family and mm-hmm. it, it like it's good motivation but you also can't do better for them if you're not here for them right. so it's like this weird struggle and what is the value of it if you're not there with them you know yep so yeah we've been trying to also um lately do family walks at night um just after dinner, everybody puts like, I leave my phone here at the house and we all go for a walk for an hour, let kids play outside. Um, I've actually found that to be really enjoyable. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk through the day with my wife, listen about her day, just bullshit, talk about whatever. Yeah. And we'll come back to the house. I'll feel a lot less anxious. That's awesome. Yeah. The the nice weather really makes that a, a, a great thing to do. Um, and it just really can help you reconnect, get some fresh air, which the outdoors obviously helps so much with the psyche anyways. 
Um, that's a great habit. I hope a lot of people will actually implement that too. It, it can be five minutes, you know, an hour is great. Two hours are great. But sometimes even that five minutes of just pressing the reset button can change the course, you know, or the, the shift basically of your evening. So that's awesome. Remember what I was saying about prepping your gear with permethrin before heading out to explore? Well, don't worry. Even if you forget to spray down your gear ahead of time, you can always use Sawyer's Picaridin Lotion or spray for family safe insect repellent in the field. Swing over to Sawyer.com and see their full line of insect repellents today. Did you know that Maven Optics offers customization on binoculars, spotting scopes, and rifle scopes? Make your quest one of a kind and build your custom optics now. Head to mavenbuilt.com and play around with a custom optic builder. Their consumer direct approach means you get premium glass at a fraction of the cost and your investment is always protected with a lifetime no questions warranty. Check out mavenbuilt.com now. a little bit about your you know your background in the hunting industry if you will um you know we kind of talked about this offline but you know there's people who will approach you and say like hey i would love to have a job in the hunting industry like where do i how do i start what are the nuances to that what has your experience been and what would be your advice to somebody who wants to pursue something in the outdoors mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I, the hunting industry changed my life. I, I, I can't remember if it was you I was talking to about this or not, so forgive me if we already went over this, but I remember um, when I was growing up in rural Oregon, um, we had some acreage where I was out every day with my BB gun and my, my little longbow hunting something my entire childhood. I, I uh, idolized people like Will Primos and Larry D. Jones, and I watched their videos all the time. I wanted to be like that. I was acting like that. I always wanted to be in the hunting industry. Um, so when I got the opportunity to be, I mean, literally, I remember my first flight to ATA show, uh, which for those that don't know, it's called the Archery Trade Association show. It's uh, before COVID. It was every January. Um, and it's, it's a really, really cool show. It's like all the best archery brands all in one building. It's mm-hmm. like an industry show. Um, but my first flight there was in 2000, uh, it probably would have been 2008. I sat next to the owner of traditional Bowhunter magazine, right? Which is a pretty small magazine. Most people probably never heard of it. Um, the guy's name was Larry Fisher. He's gone now, but I remember because my whole childhood, I read traditional archery magazine. Um, um, and, uh, or I mean, some traditional archery, traditional Bowhunter, um, uh, I sat next to Larry on the airplane. I thought, oh my God, I'm sitting next to the owner of traditional <laughs> hunter. This nice. is like, I mean, this is like me sitting next to somebody else sitting next to Bruce Springsteen. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. And then that week I met so many of my idols and it was like a dream come true. And like so much like, uh, I don't know what you call it, but like my eyes were like glossed over. Like this is the coolest thing ever. And it really, that that 11 years of my life, I'm still, I'm still, involved in the hunting industry. So I guess now I'm on 14 years of my life of being involved in the hunting industry has been amazing. It's an incredible industry full of amazing people. But I think where people slip up a little bit, there's a couple things. A, 
if you want to be, uh, if you want to, uh, like if one of your goals in life is to be wealthy financially, um, start a company in the hunting industry. Um, don't work for the hunting industry just because it's not, that's not what it's, it's, it's just not designed that way. It's a lifestyle. You're going to get paid well in a lot of places. Um, and you're going to get an amazing life, which I, I find more valuable than actual money. But if you're actually just motivated by money, it may not be the best industry. I've seen people kind of flame out when they're like, I can't make, you know, what the hell? I need to make 250 grand a year. It's like, well, um, you need to start a company then because yeah. nobody in this industry makes that unless, I mean, there's, there's some, I'm generalizing, but my point is, is it's, it's, you, you are signing up for a lifestyle, not a loop necessarily a lucrative careers you may have in like the financial sector, which is a, it could be a sucky lifestyle, but you make a lot of money. The second thing is, is, um, uh, I think a lot of people could be, uh, um, I think they, they, how do I say this? I've encountered a lot of people that don't believe in themselves. They love hunting in the outdoors, but because they don't uh, have some college degree or, you know, know somebody in the industry, they're like, I don't know. I don't know how I could get in the industry. What do I do? It's like, I'll tell you about a guy that got a 1.87 in high school and um, didn't go to college until he was 23. Uh, picked up the pace in college, did better, but was no like Harvard graduate that was very successful and has been very successful in the hunting industry, which is me. Um, they hired me. I had no experience doing any of the things they wanted me to do. And there's a lot of companies out there that will do that. If you are passionate about the actual industry itself, you can find a job in it, period, end of story. But you will have to start out at the ground floor. But it's rewarding beyond compare if you're okay with that. If you're okay, you know, moving into an apartment in Bozeman and just kind of, you know, mopping floors and answering customer service calls and whatever you need to do. But there's always young companies starting in the, in the hunting industry that you can jump into. Don't think you have to be Einstein. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly not. And honestly, it's, it's not, it's, that's not how the industry works. You can learn things. There's a lot of smart people, but I've found the most powerful thing in this industry is integrity and passion for the actual activity. Because if you have those two things, you can learn how to do the business stuff. So I've, that's one of the things that it, it drives me crazy when people say that. Like, I don't know. I don't even know where to start. It's like, well, you can start by getting on outdoorindustryjobs.com and looking. There's always jobs and just start applying for them. Interview internship the, uh, walk into a building set your resume on the counter like if you want to get in you can and it's a really really cool industry to get into it is absolutely it definitely is and I was talking uh, recently with one of our mutual friends and uh, she said the exact same thing you know just looking at you know maybe a career shift or doing something different or pursuing a job that you love whether it's in the hunting outdoor industry or not you know don't put a ceiling on yourself before you even walk in the room you know because a lot of times you can grow into a position or grow into a profession um, that you might not think you're qualified but you're downselling yourself in the interim you know 
most of the people I know that are in the upper echelons of the hunting industry started out in the lowest part of the companies. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, there are industries where you can't do that. I think this is one exception to that. It's like I was talking to my son driving home from practice last night and he was pretty upset that, you know, just baseball in general has been tough. His coach has been really hard on him. And so he was moving all of the players into different positions. He said, expect not to play the same position again this year. And, you know, for me, my initial knee jerk reaction and my advice to my son was like, what a better way to understand the game of baseball and to know what your teammates will need from you and to know what those positions are like. You'll have so much more experience in knowing how, you know, the full the full gamut runs because you will have been in each one of those positions, you know you can have a better, more clear understanding of the ins and outs of a company or sport or relationships if you can put yourself in all of those different shoes. Yeah, yeah. the way I used to look at it, like, because when you're in, especially in like the early stage companies where it's like do or die, literally, you know, um, you're going to battle every day with a very small group of people mm-hmm. and you're trying to make something work that statistically probably will not. And that is... Obviously, I'm not comparing it to like literally comparing it to war because I've never experienced that. And obviously, that's at a whole different level. But in the business world, you develop a a camaraderie with people and a respect from people that later may have to follow you as their leader. And they want to know that you've served on the battlefield. They want to know that you actually know how this works. They want to know that you have experience in all the realms that you're going to be bossing or leading. Um, and I don't think there's any better way to do that. Just like, I don't think anybody should necessarily start a company without first working for somebody else, because it may not be as important to know what you want as it is to know what you don't want in your culture. Right. Or to, there's lots of valuable lessons to, I wouldn't change my career for anything. Like I would, I shouldn't have started a company 10 years ago. I needed to work. Um, with Sitka, I learned an immense amount that, and I had mentors that were incredible. I wouldn't trade that for anything, but I couldn't have done that unless I, like I literally started out as an intern. The nature of the outdoor industry, hunting industry is a pretty competitive one, but so is the competitive nature of hunters in general. I've seen a lot of, you know, people uh, just tearing each other down, you know, whether it's rifle versus bow or it's size or age class. Like, what are your thoughts on that whole? I mean, obviously, it's always been it'll always be, but it's progressing to what I feel like is a little bit more vicious than normal what are your thoughts in that realm um yeah if you're going to be in the industry it's just it's just there um and i I think it's in every industry actually because it's humans and humans are complex beings um and uh emotional and you're dealing with an environment that's highly stressful and um, involving a lot of money but not only that status right and um it can really get to you, especially in the hunting industry, because it's, it's weird as, as, as great of an industry it is, it has a very dark underbelly that can come out from time to time where the industry will hold open arms to you. But if you like talk about cancel culture, cancel culture has been around the hunting industry for a long time. It didn't just pop up in the last few years. Like it has in mainstream. <laughs> it, 
forgiveness is, is very hard to come by, especially for things like game violations and stuff like that, which in some cases I, I, I agree with. But many of the cases that pop up in the hunt industry where the industry tries to tear individuals down are unwarranted and gross. And the only way it used to really bug me, um, not only from that perspective, but just also how people are always judging themselves against it. Oh, you know, this guy killed a 380 bull and I only, I've only killed a, you know, five point and, you know, or I'm better than everybody else because I killed the biggest animals and all the, all this mm-hmm. absolute mm-hmm. bull that does not matter. Um, the only way I've, I've learned to deal with it a couple ways, a age, I just don't care what other people think that much. I really don't. Um, I, I value what people think, but I don't care too much about it. Um, and I've found that if, if, if I've just distanced myself from toxic individuals that bring that energy and surround myself with, try to surround myself with people with integrity that actually treat me well, um, and companies that do the same. And you can weed out a lot of it that way. Just rise above it, you know, don't yeah. get, cause if you go into the hunting industry, you're going to get caught up in the drama for sure. But if you can find ways to just rise above it and move past it and, and, and um, you'll be a lot better off. Um, and I don't know. I, I guess that would be the biggest thing. It's, it's really hard. It's really hard. Uh, and I know it sounds weird because it's such a fun industry to work in, but it, it happens all the time. Courtney, you've seen it. Yeah, absolutely. What about for those, you know, not necessarily in the industry per se, but from the outside, just as hunters, you know, you see a lot of people, whether it's in forums or groups, people, you know, again, pitting each, pitting each other against, you know, the, the size of a, an animal. Would your advice remain the same in those situations? Just don't compare yourself to others, stay in your own lane kind of thing? Yeah, but, you know, in a way that's cliche for me to say. That's really easy to say, hard to do because we all compare ourselves sometimes. Um, what I always tell people is like that, whoever this guy is, and a lot of times they are killing big things, but also a lot of times they may not have a family or a normal job, or maybe that's their only priority in life. And that's great. They set that goal. I'm glad they're accomplishing it. But what are your goals? Your goal might be like, look, a lot of people get seven days off a year to go elk hunting in an over-the-counter of the unit in an average state. That's just the reality. Mm-hmm. And so you are fooling yourself if you're comparing yourself to somebody that's buying landowner tags in the best states and the best places possible and shooting these giant things. Like, that's like, uh, it's just not apples to apples and that's just the reality. So even if you do want to compare yourself to them, um, that's kind of on you, you know? Yeah. Um, and so if you focus more on like, what are my goals? Like your goal might be to shoot a spike. And if you accomplish that, good for you. But don't be, don't be um, surprised if someone tries to tear you down, but that's just part of life. I, I mean, my kids deal with this all. Like somebody called me a name. It's like, well, people are gonna call you names your whole life. You have to either learn how to um, deal with it or it's gonna drag you down. So the way I deal with it, I set my own goals. Sometimes I state them publicly and sometimes I do not. But if I meet my own goals, I'm happy. And the other thing I would say is, is especially with the trophy thing, which is kind of the most contentious thing in this industry and it's kind of gross, um, is like, I have nothing against trophy hunting. 
um, if that's your if that's your goal. Uh, but try not to get caught up too much into it because it's it's a never ending road. It's kind of like money. It's like, well, when you kill a 360, you're going to want to kill a 365. When you kill a 365, you're going to want to kill a 370 and so on. It, like it never ends. Sure. And you're never going to please the people you're trying to impress. Yeah. You're never, because they're always going to poke holes in something. Oh, yeah, you did that. But yeah, you drew a special tag. Like I could have done that if I, or yeah, you did it, but you shot it with a compound. Right. Yeah, you did it, but you had a long range, whatever yeah. the thing is, they're always going to find it. It's never so ending. Don't fool yourself to think you're going to please these people. You're never going to please these people. And by the way, they're never going to please themselves either. Yeah. They're generally speaking, very insecure. So, uh, set your own goals, be happy when you achieve them. If you don't push yourself harder, but don't, don't get too caught up in the, and the, and just, there's like many different variables. You could set goals. Like doesn't always have to be around trophy. It could be around more time in the field. It could be around, different species it could be around trying a new weapon that may be more challenging whatever it may be for you just be happy that you have the opportunity to do that and don't worry about what other people think because you will never please them ever i've never seen it happen i've been watching this for a long time and i watched the um the haters the people that are always tearing other people down and I've never once seen them pleased. Like, oh, okay, congratulations. You finally pleased me by the size of the animal you shot. That, that, that's not going to happen. Right. So so what's the point? It's a it's a fruitless journey to try to. Yeah. Right? It's like well, keeping up with the Joneses. And if you're rooted in your own mission, your why, the reason that you're out there, the, the thing that drives you to be a hunter, outdoorsman, or whatever the case may be, then I think... You're, you know, you're filling your own cup. You're set. You should be satisfied with yourself. But it is human nature to compare where you are, what you are, against somebody else's. Unfortunately, 100%. unfortunately. But I know, and it's hard. I mean, we we all do it in life too, right? Oh, they have a new car. Oh, they got a bigger house. But yep. do you ever like? I mean, I don't know about you, Courtney, but I if you wa- if you like pay attention and watch, like. I'll talk about money for a second because everybody compares everybody's money, right? Mm-hmm. You watch the most wealthy people that they, they, they used to compare themselves to more people like you, but now they're comparing themselves to people that are wealthier than them. And the people that they're comparing themselves to are comparing themselves to people that are wealthier than them. And it never stops. Mm-hmm. It, it's like, it's never like, it's because it's not satisfied. You're never going to be satisfied because you're always going to want more or have a guy across the street that has more until you start focusing on what, your situation is and having a little bit of gratitude for what you have and what you want to get to that's realistic it's a hell of a lot more satisfying and it makes it a lot easier just to kind of be like yeah whatever dude you don't know me like that was actually a big accomplishment for, to kill the whatever I got you know it makes it a lot easier to do that but I see especially younger people in the industry get so hung up in the and especially on the interest thing it's just a, <laughs> it, it's like they're all about that. Yeah. They spend their whole, you know, first quarter of the third, or the second quarter of their life trying to please other people with the size and scope of their animals. And it never works. So that's, you know, they're never satisfied. So that kind of sucks. Solid words of advice. I love the encouragement and perspective that you bring for that. 
Um, and, and really stuff that we can all apply in different facets of our life, you know, whether that's personal, professional, um, or in the hunting world, for sure. Talk about some upcoming projects that you have, like what's new? What do you have going on for the rest of 21 and moving into 22? Um, well, I'm hoping I can record another album this year. Um, I, I put out, put out a, a, an album in 2018 and I've been recording singles since then, but I'm hoping to um, get back down to Nashville soon and record again. So that's one of my one of my goals. Whether it happens this year or next year, I don't know because it just depends on a lot of different variables. But I also this is also within the first 12 months of my new company, um, and we're growing extremely fast. So my my number one priority professionally is growing and scaling my company. I have five people working for me now, and I plan on growing that and hopefully being one of the fastest growing in our category this year, um, in the state. So that's kind of professionally number one priority, but I'm trying to get, you know, we're, we're still in transition mode from a family perspective. You know, when we left Bozeman, I obviously, uh, totally changed my career, switched up a lot of stuff in our life and we're still kind of re, um, calibrating where we want to live how we want to set this all up. So this, this summer, in fact, I, I just found out I didn't draw Montana. Um, but I was really pissed, but then I'm like, ah, oh, it's a blessing in disguise. I got a lot going on professionally and stuff. So I'm, I'm probably going to focus on just, uh, Oregon and Nevada this year and, and just kind of keep putting in our roots and focusing on the future. I mean, that's my number one priority this year. Perfect. I, I, have, I have lofty goals for the next decade and that doesn't happen by slacking off. So I'm nope. kind of just, trying to execute a little bit every day you totally inspire me I love that and you know when one door shuts or doesn't open it means that we can shift our focus and and really put our effort and attention into other places so it sounds like you've got some great things going on do you want to elaborate a bit on your land business and what that is Uh, I'd love to um it's so one of the things that so my dad's been um dealing with land my, my, my whole life, his well, 35 or 40 years, I think. Um, and when I say that, he's a broker, a real estate broker, but he's never sold a house in his life. He only does, he works out in the woods. <laughs> um, he's focused primarily on Western Oregon, which is mostly timberland. Um, what was really interesting, like that happened to me, Courtney, when I left Sitka, which our, our goal at Sitka was always to, I mean, it wasn't just about making a jacket. It was about improving the lives of individuals through the outdoors. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that. I don't know if you ever read the book, Simon Sinek's uh, start with why, but like every company that's, that is a lot of the companies that are successful have a really clear why of what they're doing. That's not their product. Um, uh, and anyways, when I left Sitka, I realized, uh, one of the reasons that kind of attracted me to this new industry was my dad's been connecting people to the outdoors his whole life, just not through apparel. He's been doing it by literally helping them get into land so they can live their life outdoors. I'm like, wow, that's a really cool parallel between what I've been doing, which was through gear but now I have the opportunity to literally directly connect people to whether it's helping people, you know, by, uh, acreage to build something so their kids can grow up outside or it's like helping people buy a big hunting ranch, whatever it might be. I'm literally connecting people to the outdoors, which 
to me, I haven't really changed professions. I'm still in the outdoor industry, but I'm spending a lot more time outside. I mean, I'm literally out in the woods almost every day hiking around. And um, so I, anyways, I made out Westland Company was born. Um, and we're, I mean, we're on a rocket. We're, it's, it's really exciting because I'm not, it's not, I, I like to tell my people, all the people that work with me, we're not a real estate company. We do real estate, but we are a outdoor company. Um, so it's been really energizing to know that my mission has not changed, but the industry has. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. It- so, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's going well and challenging and stressful and all the things that every career is, but it's really, really, I've always wanted to own my own business and, um, it's really energizing. And I'm also, I'm also consulting and serving on a couple boards in the hunting industry, which is, keeps me sharp. Um, and I, I really, really enjoy helping startups, even though I own a startup too, you know, I'm kind of. I learn at the same time as I'm helping, but I did go through that phase with Sitka and I learned a ton and it's really energizing to get to pass on some of that harder knowledge to people that are starting companies in the hunting space or the outdoor space. And then also helping them get connected to the right people. Um, So I'm I'm really happy right now, Courtney. I've made some big changes the last few years. It's been tough, but um, I've had to make a lot of sacrifice to do it, but I'm truly, truly happy. Uh, which is tough to come by. Yes. No, that, that puts a smile on my face. It's nice just to know that, you know, you can make some changes, some big changes, because as we started part one, we talked about how people basically, you know, thought that you were shooting yourself in the foot and not everybody, of course, but you know, sometimes when you're up against those big challenges or big shifts in your life, you can have a lot of self doubt, but you have really moved into a place where you are calculated with what you're doing. You're setting great goals you know, learning through the process, even as sometimes you're walking through the trenches and helping other people do the same. So I really appreciate it. And like I said, you inspire me a ton. Well, you inspire me too. Like I said, I, I follow you and I've always been inspired with how positive you are and, and uplifting to others. You know, there's plenty of negativity to go around. So it's always a, a breath of fresh air to follow people like you that give so much back to people by just sharing your journey of trying to be positive you have the same struggles as everybody else but you keep a smile on your face and and keep moving so i appreciate what you do too and um yeah and i hope to yeah i don't know we've only met in person a couple times yeah i think yeah so hopefully once this covid crap gets over you can we can uh shoot shoot bows at a total archery challenge or you come up to a concert or something Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. would look forward to it. People are going to want to reach out, see what you're doing, listen to your music. Where can they find you? Uh, so music, Spotify, iMusic, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music, just search Dave Brinker and you'll find it. Um, and then just Instagram, Dave Brinker underscore or made at Westland Co. Uh, made at Westland Co. on Instagram. Um, yeah. No, I appreciate this, Courtney. This has been really, really, really energizing, actually, talking through some of the stuff. Because, like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm working through this stuff, like, real time. I'm fixing the airplane when it's flying just like everybody else. I yep. don't know all the answers, but it's cool to talk to people like you and kind of work through these, full, these um, 
hypotheses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Testing the theories for sure. No, I, yeah. I usually leave each one of my recordings with guests it, with a new perspective for the day, for the week, you know, and it's nice to be able to share that to, with others because it really is just about building community and supporting one another. And, you know, we're not above it. We're not beyond it. We're going through it at the same time. And I think sometimes it can help us reiterate what we're learning and what we need to, you know, focus on when we, we talk that out with other people. I, I think, too, COVID has really um, created a lot of gaps and boundaries where we can't have a lot of these in person and conversations or events and and uh, it's really important and pivotal to you know keeping focused on the right things and and on the important things in our lives so I appreciate it very much as well I think I probably take as much if not more out of these episodes as listeners do so thank you so much for your time and coming on we will link to all of your um, outlets in the show notes as well so people can connect with you there I appreciate it, Courtney. Thanks so much. Once again, thank you for tuning into the show. We hope that your cup is full and you're ready to embrace your untamable vibe. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a favor? Help us grow our audience by sharing your favorite episode on social media, sending the episode to a friend, and leaving us a review online. We love to hear from you. One more thing, be sure to press that subscribe button and never miss a weekly episode. See you next week.